Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so far ahead of its time, none of us may be alive when we get there. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the weekly broadcast dedicated to pipe smoking and all that we love about it throughout the world. I am your host, Brian Levine, and uh, feeling spring in the air in my home office here in Concord, North Carolina. I just had to close the window just to start the broadcast, but the windows were open, the breeze was blowing, it was beautiful. Alright, for tonight's show, we're going to talk about the uh, the global tobacco industry. A little bit on the global tobacco industry. And then my guest tonight is uh, Steve Monjour of Monjour International uh, Music. This one's going to be uh, this one's going to be fun. So we're, we're going to play a game with this music piece, um, mailbag, and a, a zoo-related rant for you. Yep, yeah, a zoo-related rant. Uh, but in the meantime, I do want to update everybody on the uh, JDRF auctions. They are going on right now. And currently on eBay, thanks to Steve Fallon, the Pipe Stud, uh, the Pipe Stud eBay store, is a gorgeous unsmoked Mastro de Paya and a beautiful tamper, uh, both given to us by Michael Renoni, and then uh, one of my Walt Disney World pipes. Those are all ending on Saturday. Coming up next week, starting on Saturday, will be a, a Big Ben, a brand new Big Ben pipe. 9mm filter in the box, unsmoked. Another one of Michael's gorgeous handmade tampers. Uh, probably on eBay will be a 100-gram tin of New World Flake made by McClellan in 1992, donated by Rob Cooper, and a 50-gram tin of Markovich, the rare Markovich black and white, donated by uh, Marcus Minettos, the uh, briar cutter. Uh, also... Check out Steve's website because there may be a probably 20-year-old tin of Esoterica Pembroke on uh, Pipestud.com. So all that's coming up. Plus, we'll uh, try to get you a link to donate direct for those of you that don't want to buy anything. All these funds are going directly to Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation to help find a cure for uh, type 1 diabetes. And, oops, sounds like we just got some money in right now. Anyway, every bit is greatly appreciated. Uh, The walk is April 25th, and we can take donations all the way until, I believe, the second week of May. But we'll get that all figured out for you. So please do check out Steve Fallon's PipeStud.com and his eBay store under PipeStud. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to the McBaron Tobacco Company, and here we go. This is Internet Radio. The Chicagoland International Pipe and Tobacco Show will be held this year on Saturday and Sunday, May 2nd and 3rd. This year will be a special year celebrating the 20th annual Chicago Pipe Show. The Chicago Show, with over 300 tables of pipes, tobacco, and tobacco is the world's largest pipe show open to the public. 
On Friday, May 1st, the show has a full day of activities, including seminars on pipes and pipe smoking. This year's speakers include Kevin Godby of PipesMagazine.com, Ben Rappaport, speaking on and displaying pipes made during the Civil War. Rob Cooper, better known as Cooper Sark, will make a presentation for young pipe smokers. And Cornelius Kranz will speak on Dutch clay pipes. The show has its own 6,000-square-foot smoking tent. And on Sunday at the show, the National Slow Smoking Contest will be held in the tent. Make your reservations for the show at Pheasant Run Resort in St. Charles, Illinois. Call 800-999-3319 for reservations. More information about the many activities at the show at chicagopipeshow.com. Come to the show and meet pipe smokers and pipe makers from all over the world. Smokingpipes.com has been my family's tradition for over 10 years. My granddad enjoys his evening pipe on the front porch. My father prefers his in the study, and well, me, I like to hang outside the local coffee shop with a pipe in one hand and my smartphone in the other. The best selection is at SmokingPipes.com. They always have the exact pipe I'm looking for. Savinelli, Peterson, Dunhill, and great stuff from dozens of top artisans around the world. Plus, they have over 70 tobacco brands with 750 blends to choose from. Lighters, tampers, tobacco jars, yep, they have that too. But the best part about SmokingPipes.com is that it's easy to order from my computer, tablet, or even my smartphone. And if Granddad has trouble with technology, he can always call them at 1-888-366-0345. I heard that. Do you think I'm deaf? I'm the one who told you about SmokingPipes.com, and I had a smartphone before you. You kids today, blah, blah, blah. SmokingPipes.com. Make it your family tradition. Hey, and uh, don't forget, not only can you see SmokingPipes.com and a whole bunch of artists and pipe makers at the Chicago Pipe Show, you can see uh, me. I'll be there. Looking forward to it. Coming up in just a few short weeks. All right, so for uh, for pipe parts, I thought I'd talk a little bit more about some of the uh, some of the interesting things of the global tobacco world. And keep in mind, most of this deals with cigarette tobacco, but it's still... Uh, Still kind of interesting. Uh, globally, globally, about uh, 7.5 million tons of, uh, of tobacco are grown. Uh, about 30, 38 to 40% of that is grown in China. One country, China, and it's all owned by the state tobacco monopoly of China, and most of it you know, it, it's really very little export, so it's mostly for the Chinese market. Uh, they are by far the largest producer. Second behind that is uh, either India or Brazil, depending on the crop that year. India, again, grows a lot for their domestic market. Brazil, on the other hand, tends to export a bigger chunk of their own tobacco. Uh, fourth... At about uh, India and Brazil are somewhere between 800 to almost 900,000 tons a year. Uh, fourth behind that is the good old United States of America at about 350,000 tons. Some of the other places, Indonesia, uh, to just to round out the top growers, Indonesia, Malawi in Africa, Argentina, Tanzania, and uh, Zimbabwe. Now, those are going to make up your top producers of tobacco. Tobacco is grown in many, many, many other countries, as we know, besides that. 
a couple of things that I and here's how the 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 discussion got started because I was talking to a fellow who you'll meet at the uh, at the Chicago Pipe Show who's been involved in the global tobacco business for uh, uh, since 1980, and we were talking about all the different places where tobacco was or tobacco was found. Uh, interestingly enough, of course, tobacco was found in the New World and discovered on how to smoke it there's a specific tobacco called criollo that was what the uh, that was what the indians were smoking and that's where everything got started from there so i started to do a little poking around on the uh, world famous internet and came across a couple of wikipedia articles on tobacco um one of them says in particular that uh, the spanish when they brought uh when when uh, they brought tobacco back to uh back to Spain they were brought into uh the seeds were planted on the outskirts of the town of Toledo and specifically in an area known as Los Cigarales named after the uh the the cicadas or cigaras as they're as they're called in Spanish and that's where we get the term cigar or cigarette eventually comes from. Um, a lot of the tobacco that was grown was very intense, very strong. So a lot of it was uh, chopped up finely and smoked in uh, little tiny pipes. What we would now call like a kisiru or a midwaka, which I may be, uh, maybe screwing up the pronunciation of that one but that's from uh from the persian culture and they were meant for maybe one or two one or two uh puffs on a bowl and then you got a little bit of a uh, stimulating buzz from it um some of the other things that they did was that that's when the hookah and the bong the water pipes came along to help kind of cool down the uh the smoke um Tobacco has also been used for numerous kinds of uh, different remedies, uh, in particular in uh, Colombia, and I'm skimming through my notes real quick, but in Colombia and one other country, uh, a, a kind of, I guess, a, a paste of leaves was boiled and the uh, and the the crushed leaves mixed that were boiled mixed with uh, oils from palms were used to prevent uh, baldness. Um, in uh, in Haiti, uh, dried leaves taken orally for bronchitis and pneumonia. Fiji, where they also grow tobacco, Fiji, uh, the fresh root would be eaten for asthma or indigestion or uh, fresh root applied as eye drops for bloodshot eyes or other problems. Uh, and they'd, they'd use the seeds for rheumatism. So they were trying all kinds of things with uh, tobaccos. Uh, in Tanzania, leaves of what is now called Nica, Nicotiana tobaccum, which is a hybrid tobacco that we mostly smoke now, uh, and don't, this is where we get offensive sometimes, but this is actually what they do. The leaves are placed on in the vagina to stimulate labor. So many, 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 many uses for the, uh, world, 
for the world's wonderful tobacco plant. Uh, if you're interested, I can dig into more and more of those uh, in the future. But I thought it was just fascinating to sit and look and see where all tobacco is from uh, and see how different ways tobacco's used, including in India, where they've got a whole bunch of different ways of making a moist, pasty kind of a snooze or snuff that's put on your nose. So all kinds of fun stuff out there for the uh, for the tobacco plant. Uh, we'll uh, get to Steve Monjour on the phone in just a minute. Craftsmanship, history, tradition. These are the hallmarks of all quality products. From the finest wines bottled in France to the most highly engineered automobiles manufactured in Germany, Denmark has been the one country in the world where craftsmanship, history and tradition have for centuries created the finest pipe tobaccos in the world. Since 1887, the Halberg family have led the pipe tobacco industry through their ownership of Mac Baron Tobacco Company and they continue to create the most sought-after blends in the world today, just as they did over 100 years ago. In keeping with their long history of providing the world with the best tobacco on earth, Mac Barron is proud to announce their newest creation, Modern Virginia, as a loose-cut version and a flake version. Bright and dark, rich Virginia tobaccos have been combined with just a hint of burley for strength in this soft and smooth smoke with delicious fruit undertones. As the world leader in flake tobacco production, Mac Barron is sure that this blend will appeal to the true connoisseurs of traditional Virginia flake tobacco, as well as those who like their tobaccos on the sweeter side. Enjoy the culmination of centuries of experience by picking up a tin of Modern Virginia from Mac Barron Tobacco Company. Available at fine tobacconists everywhere. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining me on the telephone is my uh, dear friend in pink and we'll talk about the pink in a little bit. Uh, Steve Monjour is a uh, importer and distributor of pipes and Steve I think the first time we met was probably in uh, late 2000 when we were both young guys at uh, pipe shows but anyway Steve welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you it's great to be here. You know, at our age, it's great to be anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> my, my feet hit the floor, I'm happy. Yeah. So uh, tell everybody, where did you grow up, and when did you actually start smoking a pipe? I grew up in New Orleans. Way down south in Dixie, uh, started smoking a pipe at age 16 in 1970. All my friends were smoking cigarettes and um I decided my grandfather smoked a pipe. I wanted to try a pipe. My parents kind of didn't know what to do, but my father said it's better than cigarettes, so I began smoking a pipe. I'd go to the local pipe shops and pick up tobacco. And Back then it was Lorenzo's, it was Dr. Grabo's, it was whatever I could find uh, in the budget to smoke. And I went down to Ye Olde Pipe Shop, 
Mr. Jensen's place in the French Quarter on charters and actually got uh, got to know him fairly well before he passed on, and that's where I bought most of my tobacco, that and Edward's shops. We had a nice Edward's shop in New Orleans that uh, I would frequent, but um, that's pretty much where I began and been smoking ever since. Now, and before you started the uh, the career in uh, pipes and pipe mm-hmm. tobacco, you actually had a uh, regular job? I had a regular job. Worked for big uh, corporate companies like uh, Carnation and Johnson & Johnson and Haynes Hosiery. That's what uh, I accepted a position with Haynes and moved up to North Carolina in 1984. That's how I got up here, and I'm in High Point now. But... Um, yeah, worked for um, various companies, some smaller companies later on, family-owned companies, but I uh, had a regular job. And basically, um, in 95, I started looking. Uh, the cigar boom was in full effect, and uh, shops were doing really well, and I got the itch to get in the business. Did, uh, I mean, did the pipe business appeal to you, or were you looking at the cigar business mainly? No, I was looking at pipes because retailers were telling me as a customer, I travel all over the country. I was with the last uh, position I had was with a company here in High Point. We sold uh, uh, point-of-purchase signs and displays. We worked with companies like Golden Corral and Michelin and some of the uh, large uh, automobile manufacturers. And I was traveling to Detroit, Cleveland, all over the place. All the the garden spots. (laughs) All the garden spots. Exactly, and some in into South Carolina. But the retailers that I became friends with said, if you ever want to get in this business, you need to do it now because we have money to spend, and we can expand in, uh, our stores with pipes and pipe tobacco accessories. We have the cigars, you know, we got the humidors, we got all the paraphernalia that goes along with that. But uh, you need to look at if you're going to do it in the next couple of years. So this was all kind of pre-internet and pre-email. Yes. How, yes. Do you, how do you get a hold of a brand, and how did you kind of start your business? Oh, well, with our door, I was uh, I was traveling to South Carolina. I was in a in a shop, a Boda Pipe in Greenville, South Carolina, and Davis Fishburn. Uh, ironically, had just gotten a shipment of our doors in. I say a shipment; he got like six or seven pieces. Back then, Brian Mastercraft was distributing uh, the uh, Ardor pipes along with Pipa Croce and, of course, Dr. Grabo. And uh, he, I was looking at the pipes, and I said, man, that's a lot more than I, I normally spend on a pipe. He said, if you don't like this pipe, bring it back, and I'll give you your money back. Wow. And so I bought an Ardor. First Ardor is a Meteora finish, that car finish that they do, kind of a almost half, half bent to full bent, and fell in love with the pipe. I mean, I just... It was a far cry above what I was smoking, which was at the time just medium-range pipes. It wasn't my first handmade, but it was. I realized there was a difference. So I wrote the company. In the box was a pamphlet with their address. <laughs> so I wrote the company. I had a fax number. I had a fax machine. So I said, let me write them a letter and say I'm interested. Um, if there's an opportunity down the road, let me know. I got a response back from Damiano because he speaks perfect English, wrote me a letter back and said, we will sell you pipes direct on a small basis, but Mastercraft is our distributor. If you want to go beyond that, then we have to clear it with them. So I said, okay. So I bought uh, over maybe six months. This was in 96, 95, 96. 
uh, I bought maybe 12, 15 pipes direct from our door. And then I was in a shop in Winston-Salem and uh, saw a poster for the Charlotte Pipe Show in 97. And I said, ah, that's it. I got to go to the pipe show. So I uh, contacted Damiano and I said, I'm interested in buying some pipes for the show. Uh, my first entry, just to kind of test the water. I was still working full-time at, at, at that particular time. Anyway, so uh, he sent me, I think, around 75 pipes. And I uh, went to the Charlotte show and met Gibb and met a bunch of people there and uh, had our door for about one week. And Lane Limited had purchased Mastercraft. So they told the Lane Limited rep was there, and he he knew about our door and he knew what the deal was involving, and he said uh, they. Damiano called me. I was in Cleveland traveling the next week after the show, and Damiano said I had some bad news. I thought he was going to tell me someone in the family died. He said I can't sell you our door pipes anymore. So I said okay, easy come, easy go. I had a really good show. I think I sold 15, 20 pieces at that show because people hadn't really seen a lot of our doors. Yeah. Their finishes were unique. The pipes were really good. And Anthony Spear was next to me at this show, who's passed on now. But he looked at he looked at it and said, how'd you get that line? I said, well, just by accident. I just contacted them, and they shipped me pipes. And um, he said, I have four pipes on my table that are not for sale for any amount of money. One's a Costello, one's a, a Grinchy, and, one, and two are our door pipes. So anyway, uh, Damiano said he would sell me the Rover Art line, which is a line that is made specifically for Europe with 9mm filters. And I said, well, you know, I don't want the adapter. I don't want a pipe with a filter in it. He said, no, we'll make them regular tenants for you. So that's what started the uh, the Rover Art. I had Rover Art for a year. Uh, Lane Limited lost our door because of some things that they had done. And uh, Damiano called me back after the trade show that year in, um, let's see, that was in uh, Orlando. He, right after two or three months, uh, he called me and said, uh, do you want the Ardor the line back? And I said, of course. So that's when I began uh, distributing Ardor in a big way, in a bigger way, I should say. And uh, it was just a stroke of luck that uh, Lane had lost it, but they did. So that would, for a little bit of background mm -hmm. that I know, is that Lane at that point had been purchased and was getting refocused into uh, into stuff that they owned in particular, the, the roll-your-own-cigarette tobacco yeah. and, and, the, uh, and the cigarettes, and they were, they were also kind of focused on Dunhill, and they really didn't want anything else. That's pretty much the story. Yeah, but their their dealings with our door were not so that uh, uh, what happened was our door basically dropped Lane. Lane didn't drop our door. Lane, uh, our door told Lane they didn't want to do business with them. <laughs> and basically, yeah. is what what had happened. There was a discrepancy on pricing. And, and, and anyway, I, did, I didn't find out all the particulars until almost a year after because the Italians are very close mouth mouth about that kind of thing. So. Um, Anyway, we, we I picked up our door. I was doing well, still on the verge of doing this full-time, and I sent letters out to different companies like Savinelli and Brebbia and a bunch of different pipe companies, some smaller companies in Italy, and um, got a phone call from Luciano Buzzi at our door and said, uh, will you be in Orlando at the show? And I said, well, I will not be 
showing there, but I will be at the show. I was working with uh, Cousins Tobacconist in Cleveland with Danny uh, selling humidors for him at the show. He said, look, if you help me sell humidors, I will give you a space in my suite to sell your pipes. And back then I had Rover Art and, and some our doors, but he said, uh, I said, fine. So I met with Luciano Bootsy at the show. He walks into the lobby, Brian, and it was really, really kind of funny. And he had a case with him, and his girlfriend was there. <laughs> and we talked, and he opened up the case and said, these are the pipes, the price list. And I had some brevia, so I, I could converse with him about the quality and about the models and different things. And he said, um, okay. I'm uh, I'm ready if you are, and I said, hmm. I said that's that's uh, unusual. I said, what? I have to ask you one question before we go. Um, why'd you pick me? And his girlfriend laughed, and she, my business card was on the coffee table of the lobby of the hotel, and she pointed to the cat logo, <laughs> and Luciano laughed, and he said, the reason why I wanted to meet with you first is because Giovanna told me I must. I said, why is that? She loves cats. <laughs> and she said, if I didn't meet with you first, she would be very upset. So. <laughs> and I've always been superstitious, and my black cat, little man, was the reason why I uh, picked up uh, Brevia and distributed Brevia. <laughs> so how would you, for those, for those that don't, aren't familiar with Brevia and Ardor, how would you kind of quickly classify them in, in, uh, in terms of quality and pricing? Well, they're both quality lines of pipes, uh, Ardor being completely handmade, uh, different category altogether. They have a lot more leeway uh, with shapes and designs. When we started with Ardor, we, Ardor had 62 shapes in that little pamphlet that I found in their uh, pipe box. And uh, since then, we've increased that to about 450 shapes, catalog shapes. Uh, and then we, in addition, we, we added the Giants a few years later, and we have over 50 shapes of Giants. So the Briar uh, is um, probably a little bit better quality. Um, it, it's aged for 10 years or air-dried for 10 years before it's made to a pipe. Brevia being an industrial company like Savinelli and Peterson and so on, uh, most of the pipes are uh, afraid, not afraid, so they cut the heads at a you know, four or five at a time. The briar is aged. Uh, they they age their briar for six or seven years. It's uh, decent quality, and they do some handmade, but most of theirs, uh, most of their pipes are machine made. So you you your um, the machine and computer dictates basically the shape. So if, if I had them make a custom shape, it would be very difficult, take a long period of time. Where with our door, I can have them make any shape anybody wants if they're willing to wait for it. Uh, and in quantity, uh, our door is probably producing 1,200 pipes a year, where Brebbia is probably 25,000 to 35,000. Still small companies, but uh, in a diff they, they do things differently, totally. <laughs> and our door, if I remember right, has done some extremely bizarre and interesting uh, single pipe pieces. Yeah. Yeah, they're all over the place. We had a guy in, in New York uh, that was working at Barclay Rex, Charles, and he was, he played the, the oud, which is an instrument like a lute, like it's a guitar-type instrument, small. 
and he, anyway, he wanted a pipe in the shape of a lewd, of a of a nude rather, and uh, they made that. They they, Dorelio's been carving pipes since he was thirteen in '68, so he can carve anything. His father was one of the one of the renowned carvers of head pipes or sculptura pipes, as they call them, uh, in the world. So he carved all the dignitaries in Europe, uh, in Italy. They'd come to him and say, carve this face, my grandchild's face, into a pipe, and he would do that. So, uh, but yeah, they, our door is all over the place in different shapes. Nowadays, more, not classical shapes, because the Italians take creative license with their shapes, but They'll take a shape like a skater, a Sheridan skater, and do their own twist to it. Uh, the giants are another thing, and the super giants uh, are a totally different realm. Some of those pipes will hold about 20 to 25 grams of tobacco. Uh, how, how long of a, of a total pipe are we talking about in a super giant? And size? Yeah. Well, they, they range. Most of them have been bent pipes, so they're running about 10 and a half inches or so. If they do a Canadian, it's going to run about 11 inches long. Uh, the bowl's going to be four, three and a half to four inches tall and about three inches wide or, long, or bigger. I've seen some. One they sent me was a, uh, was a uh, umpal. And they didn't have a box big enough, so I had to take two giant boxes and splice them together to fit this super giant in. And when the man got it, the end, end of the mouthpiece was over an inch wide. And I thought to myself, there's no way in the world he's going to be able to smoke this pipe. And he called me up and said, order me one in a smooth finish. <laughs> so uh, is there a pipe too big? No, Brian, there's no such thing. It's quite incredible how that all started. It all started with John Eels in Richmond, Virginia, when he had asked for a 56, and I said, no, John, the chart goes up to 55. He goes, hey, they're pipe makers. I'm a pipe maker. They can make anything if they can get the briar, and they did. They started making the pipes. Dorelio started cutting the giants, and a good friend of his visited the workshop there in, in Italy, in northern Italy, and said, what is this? Is this for a display or a sign? He said, no. A man in the U.S. will smoke this pipe, and they all got a big laugh out of it. And now they're selling giants all over the place now. Even the Italians, some of the Italians are smoking giants. But it's mostly a U.S. thing, right, you know, for, for years. It's been that way. We're going to take um, a break right here. When we come okay. back, we're going to talk pink shirts and tobacco and uh, maybe get Steve to give us some uh, pipe show and uh, uh, pipe shop stories. So stay okay. with us. We'll be back in just a minute. <laughs> I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit fournoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fournoggins.com. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, 
and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with uh, Steve Monjour of Monjour International. And uh, Steve, uh, so the, those giants hold almost an ounce of tobacco in the bowl? Some of them do. Some of the super giants, yes. It depends upon the, uh, the shape, but it's quite incredible. I can't hold them in my mouth, and I'm not sure. But uh, people like John Morrison in Missouri, he has, in his collection, over 400 giants. And uh, he walks around. I remember a Richmond show. He was uh, smoking a, a super giant and lit the pipe at 9 a.m. And at 1 p.m., he was still smoking the pipe. So, uh, so, so talking about tobacco, you are also the importer into the U.S. for all Solani and Reiner and uh, J.J. Fox tobaccos, and uh, yeah. you, got, you got a couple others. Um, yes, Robert Lewis and uh, Brevia. How did you get the, well, the Brevia line makes sense because you've got the pipes. Mm-hmm. How did you get right. involved in Solani and Reiner and all the other brands? Well, I was at the... Uh, Back then, it was called the RTDA, now the IPCPR, and I think it was Vegas in 99. And um, I was just at the booth talking to some people, and Chuck Stanion came up, and Greg Pease came up later and said, there's a man over there that you need to talk to. His name is Rudiger Will. He's, he's a German, and he has his line of pipes, uh, his line of pipes, and he also uh, is uh, from a longtime tobacco family. And um, you probably need to talk to him. And I said, okay. So an hour later, this big German comes walking over with a bag of tins, tin tobacco, and he says, um, I understand you want my line of tobacco. <laughs> and I said, well, Rudiger, he's, you know, Rudiger 6'6". Six, six. When he shook my hand, his fingers went up, up to my arm, middle of my arm, and I said, um, I will definitely contemplate it. He says, well, here are the tobaccos that I blend. Uh, you smoke them over the next couple of days of the show and then get back with me. So I, I smoked the tobaccos. He had Solani then and some of the Reiner blends. Didn't have a flake and at all. And um, when I spoke with, with Greg Pease and, and uh, Chuck Stanion, they said, you need to uh, talk to him about flakes. And I said, Definitely. So we met, and um, I said, I like your tobaccos. The quality's good. Not everyone is for me, but uh, they're good quality, and I like that. He said, I said, but you need a flake tobacco. You need a Virginia flake, maybe something else, a, a Latakia flake. He said, no, it will, will not be good for me. And I said, <laughs> why is that, Rudiger? And he said, well, the Germans are too lazy to rub out flakes. <laughs> and I said, well, Rudiger, I said, I can't promise you much, but I can promise you one thing. If you develop some flake tobaccos, I will sell enough to make it worthwhile to pay for the labels and the tins and all that in the U.S. It may take me six months, a year to get rolling, but I said, we will sell you tobaccos. 
So he developed the, uh, it took him a while, he developed the Virginia Flake and then the Rhino Long Golden, the Silver Flake, and now the Burley Flake, which has become the number one tobacco. But that's that's how it happened with, with uh, Rudiger and the Solani and Rhino line. It just kind of fell into place, word of mouth, a couple of good recommendations for, from some some friends. And uh, we were we were doing business with him, and um, it's been good. The flake tobaccos are all five flakes are my number one tobaccos. Oh, you know, in that order. If I just had the flakes, I would be very happy. So it's safe to say that he didn't have a fascination for cats. He uh, he actually no. met you and liked you. <laughs> no, he didn't. But we hit it off. His wife Karen and his son Michael. We we just I don't know. We just clicked. Uh, it was like he, he was taking a chance with me. I figured, you know, wasn't into tobacco, and it was time to to, uh, to look at uh, expanding. And with the pipeline, the feds good. But I had worked with Chip Bell when he had uh, Samuel Galwith rep for him, and I saw what tobacco was was doing and and how uh, shops were adding new blends and uh, it's consumable product. So I said, you know, this is this is an opportunity I cannot pass up. So as he started to develop tobaccos, it became kind of a you know a friendship over the years, and uh, he was very open to looking at doing new things. He doesn't introduce new tobacco blends often, but the Burley Flake was one that I had asked him for. Uh, I had a rep in Boston, Ken Kasperian. He was after me for three years to develop a Burley Flake, and Rudiger said, "No, it's real difficult to come with a good mix. You know, develop a good mix." So. He, after persistence on my part and Kenny's part, and Kenny would see him at a show and he'd say, how's that burly flake coming? And Rudiger would roll his eyes. And he finally <laughs> developed it. It took him a year, but uh, it's become, it's now my number one selling tobacco. And and I know, and I and I want to, I want to word this correctly. Uh, Please. It's... It's safe to say that one of the reasons why the, uh, the the Reiner and Solani tobacco lines are a little more expensive than some of the others is because uh, Rudiger's um, extremely particular about the tobaccos and the processing of them. Yes. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head, exactly. Yeah. He, he will not. Some of the tobaccos that he that he was coming out with, the the uh, the aged burley flake has three different tobacco three different burley tobaccos in it. It's very expensive. He doesn't make a dime or didn't make a dime. Uh, Cole House is doing most of the distribution for him, so what little cut he gets from that is is very minute. But uh, he was probably break even or losing money on that particular blend at one time. But yeah, he's very he, he monitors all the blends. He goes to see Cole House maybe three, four times a year just to make sure that everything is uh, according to his recipes. And talk us through the J.J. Fox and Robert Lewis tobaccos. Well, I was I was visiting Joyce White in Atlanta when she had Royal Tobacco, yeah. and we were talking, and her son had been to, to uh, London, and he said, uh, you know, I was in a shop, and they had some of these tobaccos, and I tried them, and they're very good. Joyce said, you should, you should get on J.J. Fox and Robert Lewis. Uh, she said, that would be a great one for you to add. And uh, I said, well, do you have an address? She looked in the book, got an address, and uh, fax number, whatever. So I wrote the company, and basically 
I may have even emailed him at the time and said, uh, I'm interested. I import Solani Reiner, and that's all I had. And um, they wrote me back, and they said, we have no one in the U.S. We're willing to, uh, to ship, and this is, what, this is what we have. And we've added a couple of blends like Ibernia, but they, they're not one to add new blends often at all. So uh, we started importing the uh, J.J. Fox and Robert Lewis within, uh, I guess it was, took about six months or so after that first intro, and um, it's been good. That's another company that's very strong on maintaining the quality of, of the original blends. They've merged together. Fox was in uh, Dublin, and Robert Lewis was in uh, was in London, and so they merged the companies. They're one and the same. The blends are somewhat similar, but but different. And um, uh, they have some. I have some faithful followers of those tobaccos. And these are more in the uh, in the classic English blending yeah. style. So exactly, so. exactly. There's no flake. There's one. There's one aromatic, and the rest are either Virginias and Perique or English with Orientals and so on. So um, that's why the people, I think, have gravitated to, toward those tobaccos that don't want to smoke, uh, say, Solani Green, which kind of has an apple flavoring. And yeah. then uh, let's move forward to uh, if... If you go to a pipe show, it is very easy to identify Steve because he might be wearing a bright pink shirt. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Uh, how many pink shirts do you own, and how did the pink shirt get started? And I know the story, so if you don't tell the correct one, I will correct you. Okay. Well, I, um, I probably own seven or eight pink shirts, and I have some more on reserve. I already... The, the shirts through L.L. Bean, so I had those. I was ordering Ardor shirts and Ronaldo caps and Ardor caps, and I decided, well, I might as well get the pink shirts in. But I had one pink shirt in my closet, and I was going to the Columbus show, and I think that was in 98, uh, if memory serves me. I can remember stuff from the third grade, but I sometimes I can't remember what happened yesterday. But I think I remember that particular show because <laughs> – they all made fun of me. Uh, I'd say all, all the vendors were laughing. And I remember Keith Moore came up and said, hey, man, the pink shirt, you stand out. And after that, well, at that particular show, somebody was looking for me, and they said, oh, he's in the corner with the pink shirt. And that's basically, Brian, how that got started, because the guy came up, and I said, how'd you find me with all these people? He said, uh, they said, look for the guy with the pink shirt. So it became kind of a... I took what was people were making fun of and twisted that and started wearing the pink and said, okay. Got a pink drape, a table drape, which I use sometimes now. At early years, I used it for every show. And when I ordered that from a company in Atlanta, the guy called me, the rep called me and said, my boss wants to make sure that you have the, the color, uh, cor we have the color correct. <laughs> said, yeah, it's Mary Kay pink. I mean, it's pink. He said, okay, I just want to make sure because it's an expensive table drape and we don't want to mess it, mess it up. <laughs> no, do the pink. And uh, ever since then, and the, the, the new thing for probably next year, or maybe toward the latter part of this year, is going to be pink jumpsuits. But Phil doesn't know that yet. <laughs> Phil Brown, yeah. who's a good friend and a good help at all the shows. I've been knowing Phil and you have too for years. Yeah. He doesn't know about the jumpsuits, but I may try one with Phil first because he's thin and he can put, pull it off. 
uh, you want to you want to tell the story of uh, Phil and your uh, and your your entire staff and how often you fire Phil? Yes, Phil's been fired. No, he hasn't been fired. We I was at the Richmond show and this was early on, maybe two thousand, and um, I was there alone. I had six tables and Phil and, and Rich Edwards uh, from West Virginia were, were walking around. They said, "You need some help." I said, I need some help, man. This show was slammed. We didn't stop from time it opened at 9 or so till 5. Anyway, they got behind the tables and started helping. You know, <laughs> selling pipes, selling accessories, selling tobacco, whatever I had they were selling. And they said, we had a lot of fun. And I remember Richie, that was the days when he walked around in his uh, ape costume. And he was, <laughs> he, he was the life of the party. And people were coming up to buy stuff from us because Rich was there and Phil and I said, if you guys ever want to work with me, uh, feel free. And they did. And I paid them with tobacco and pipes through the years. No, not, not a salary per se, but, you know, meals and whatever. But uh, that's how that whole thing started with those guys. And it was, I miss it. I miss it. Uh, Richie's still alive, I believe. I haven't talked to him in a long time. But um, uh, Phil still makes the shows and, uh, still, still a lot of fun to work with. And just so that everybody knows, uh, Phil Brown's a full-time veterinarian and and, and pipe collector and part-time uh, part-time uh, part uh, Steve Monjour wrangler. Exactly. And if you have any, <laughs> if anybody out there has any pets they want diagnosed, just bring them to the show. Phil will do it right there. He doesn't bring a lot of equipment, so it have to be a quick. Uh, a quick assessment, but he's good for that. Oh, people, Brian, people come up to him at every show and ask him about their pets. Oh, he's helped me with my with my yeah. cats too. So, and he, Phil may be wearing a pink shirt when you see him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have cats and have had cats for a long time and dogs too. And Phil is by far the best and most knowledgeable veterinarian I have ever come across, and I've come across a lot. At, Emergy Cares and all these places that have specialists. Phil's old school, you know, he was pulling calves out of cows way back when. And, you know, he's, um, he's, uh, he's cut his teeth on uh, working at farms and with horses and livestock and everything imaginable. But he's very knowledgeable about pipes, too. <laughs> we will uh, wrap this up with the fast five final questions. There's no right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. What's your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe is a, an Ardor uh, half bent um, apple. What's your favorite tobacco? Oh, by far, a Solani Age Burley Flake. And what's your favorite drink? My favorite drink is a um, Kettle One Martini. Uh, you're from New Take Orleans, it. and you didn't say a hurricane? <laughs> no. Or a jewel? No, I, I, I see what hurricanes have done to people <laughs> after two or three. It's all over Bourbon Street, Brian. I'm telling you, one hurricane and a woman, and all the clothes get blown off. Um, I've, been there. <laughs> I've been there, done that, yes. Yeah, and a lot of them you don't want to see. Uh, <laughs> When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Uh, music, definitely. And last but not least, do you have a particular favorite pipe-smoking memory that we haven't talked about? I have one 
that uh, I was at the, the Newark show, the New York Pipe Show, and uh, a customer came up, good guy, still selling pipes, he's, he's a friend, and brought uh, a Rinaldo to me. I thought maybe he had chipped the mouthpiece or it burned out or whatever. Uh, it's not doesn't happen often, but he looked at me and said, I have to return this Rinaldo, and I said, why is that? And he said to me, uh, it's, it broke in too fast. <laughs> and I said, uh, huh? Hmm, huh? That's what I said. I said, well, what do you want to do? He goes, I'd like to trade it for something else. And um, I said, well, you know, you smoked it, so we'll work out a deal. And I did. I ended up selling the pipe to a good friend in Raleigh. He loves the pipe. But you meet all kinds, and I didn't want to insult him by saying, if you want a challenge, smoke this brand or this brand. I could have done that, but I didn't. So he was happy. He walked off with a new pipe, and everybody kind of gathered around and said, I can't believe you did that. I said, well, I did it because this this particular man is the way he is. I mean, nothing's going to change there. So uh, I said, plus I want to keep him as a customer. <laughs> There are other that... stories, but that that one blows everybody's mind because no one's ever heard of anything like that. To learn more about uh, all the products of Monjour yes. International, the website is Monjour M O N J U R E International dot com. Uh, Steve's got an email address on there. You can check out all kinds of stuff. And uh, you can find them at pipe shows and uh, Brebia, Ardor, the tobaccos are all over the place. Every uh, yes, every retailer should have them if they don't. Yeah, if they don't, they're losing, losing out. Steve, always a pleasure. Thank, I'll, uh, thank you, Brian. Well, uh, I'll run into you when you're wearing pink, and if I uh, if I yeah. if you're not wearing your pink, I never know who you are. Exactly. Only on show day, though. Not not for uh, in-store trunks uh, shows, just on uh, the regular shows. Thanks right. again for everything. Hey, brother. Thank you. We'll hey. be back in just a minute. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th president of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco. Founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes. Or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit sutliff-tobacco.com for information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. Whoa. 
We are back, and uh, now Steve's got me ready for a mint julep on the front porch as soon as the show's over. That sounds good. All right, so for music, here's the here's the deal. This is a piece of music that I like. The person that emails me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, emails to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, the closest to uh, what the music's from. Yeah, just tell me, tell me what the music's from, and... Uh, you know, I'll find some little prize for you, something, some little trinket on my travels. But uh, anyway, no pipe smoking related uh, story behind this. It's just you tell me what you think it is, email me the answer, and uh, I'll find a little goodie for you. But here it is. <laughs>
Okay, remember, email me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com. Where do you think that music is from? What's this? A letter for me. Before I forget again, let me wish everybody a uh, happy Easter. Hope you all had an enjoyable, relaxing Easter weekend and a uh, happy Passover. All right, in the mailbag, uh, Jason writes from the UK that uh, he's happy to bid on some of the stuff uh, for the JDRF auction. Uh, It's a really good cause. He says, my mom has type 1 diabetes too. I absolutely love the radio show. It kept me going when I was working on my son's house all week. Yes, I started from the beginning again. Your style of interviewing is great and not boring to listen to again. Keep up the good work. I uh, would love to have two shows a week. Um, yeah, thanks. I'd love to have the time to do two shows a week. Uh, however, the full-time job does get in the way. Uh, glad you enjoyed the shows again, and we were able to keep you company for a second time around. Uh, got an email again from the UK. David writes, as a recent returnee to pipe smoking, I've discovered your podcast. Thank you so much for the valuable content and interesting di- discussions. And then he gave me some ideas for uh, future shows that I'm going to keep to myself, so you're not going to get to hear them here. Ha, 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 ha. And then uh, in regards to last week's show, John Seiler writes, Hi, Brian, you got Tad. Excellent. Uh, Number pipes or hashtag pipes, whatever, was one of the early IRCs or internet chat rooms or whatever from around from 1997 to about 2007 or so back when we typed on a green screen Uh, that has evolved as social media has evolved instagram facebook internet pipe community etc as you said uh, rc hacker elevated the interest in pipes and had an impact another important factor was bob hamlin and the pipe collectors club of america with his bringing into the u.s the italian brand Costello Pipes, and one of the founders of Number Pipes. I tend to agree that there are too many new pipe makers and expect there to be a shakeout at some point in time. Displaying a collection is an effort, and anyone that does display their collection should be complimented. I do like your idea of having a day at Chicago to display collections. It's nice to know that we old fellows are not the last pipe and tobacco generation, The pipes and tobacco hobby is alive. Yes, it is. And then he enjoyed the music and a nice show and uh, he liked the format of it. So we may do that again. Uh, Wind Driver writes, Brian and Tad really enjoyed your show tonight. Look forward to seeing you both in Chicago. And um, here comes the elbow on the side because Scott Thiele writes, Great show, as always, Brian. Loved the relaxed format for this one, which worked perfectly with Tad. Loved hearing you bounce it back and forth. You're both a wealth of information and great guys besides. Uh, very interesting to hear your tales, your, your takes on the past, present, and future of our little world of pipes. Um, ouch, did I feel a punch to the shoulder? Yep, it was the it was a punch all right, but it was not in the shoulder. Just some great music from the Punch Brothers. Great choice. Now, I will say that Scott might be somewhat biased by the fact that, um, you know, that uh, he's Chris's father. Uh, let's see. And then Scott goes on to say, uh, don't let it go to your head, but you've been hitting it out of the park, Brian. Looking forward to seeing you in Chicago. 
And then uh, John Seiler writes again because it was Wednesday evening and he says it's Wednesday evening and Bill Kotek is here listening to your discussion with Tad. He wants one of your t-shirts. I'm not a pipe carver nor do I want to be one. Uh, Bill quit showing his collection due to costs involved, the amount of time it ties him down, and he's not selling while displaying. Another thing Bill noticed is the new, younger people do not want to negotiate or haggle prices. They look at a price and walk away, not uttering a word. A word. Uh, Bill thinks you guys hit the nail right on the head on many points. That's it from Bill until I can drag him over here to listen to another show or he gets a computer. <laughs> See you in Chicago. Uh, let me reiterate on the uh, on the haggling of prices. If it's a... Um, you know, if it's a if it's a professional business, they may have a little bit of room to play around with, but most of the professional retailers pretty much price their stuff the way they want it. If it's an independent pipe maker, I am really not comfortable or you know, asking for a lower price. Uh if they offer one, great, take it. If it's a independent, you know, a, a collector trader that is uh sitting at the show and brought his stuff to sell, yeah, you know, ask him if that's the best price he can do or suggest it or, you know, even if it's really low. And I, listen, I do this on eBay sometimes when uh, when they offer a best offer, I'll put in the best offer that I'm willing to give. But I may also put a note in there saying that, you know, I, I realize this is low, but this is all I can afford and I'll understand if you decline. Uh, so if you approach it that way, I think you should be fine. All right. Uh, zoo rant coming up next. This is Internet Radio. If you're looking for quality, if you're looking for a variety, and if you're looking for someone with a reputation for nothing but the best, you're looking for cupajoes.com. Cupajoes.com has hundreds of pipes to choose from and thousands of different pipe tobaccos. Cupajoes.com is also your one-stop shop for Peterson pipes, their exclusive line of Peterson Kelly pipes. Check out their remodeled website at cupajoes.com. And be sure to like them on Facebook, cupofjoes.com. Quality products at extraordinary prices. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. Cowboy. Cowboy. This past Friday, took the uh, wife and daughter and we went to the zoo. Uh, went to the North Carolina Zoo in Asheboro, North Carolina, about an hour and 20 minute drive from here. We'd never been there before. 
Anyway, it is a uh, wonderful zoo. However, I gotta say, the most interesting things to watch weren't the four-legged animals in the cages. No, it was the two-legged animals looking at the things in the cages. Uh, at one point, we were standing in front of a uh, tortoise display in the uh, kind of the reptile area, and this one lady walked up and said, What's wrong with that turtle? Why isn't it in water? And she was standing literally right in front of a sign that said tortoise and described the type of tortoise and described what makes a tortoise different from a turtle. Uh, there was another time we were standing right in front of the chimpanzees and we were watching the chimps going back and forth and back and forth. And uh, one person walked up and asked why... Uh, why don't those monkeys have tails? And was standing right by the sign that explained that uh, chimpanzees are really not monkeys and that, you know, st telling the story of the difference between a monkey and a, an ape family and explaining all that. And we were going back and forth and just laughing at the stupidity of some of the people that were in attendance and some of the things that they asked out loud, including... My favorite one was we were watching the elephants, and one of the elephants was uh, trimming trees and taking branches off of trees. Yes, trimming the trees, and the elephant was using its uh, trunk to tuck all the branches between its trunk and its tusk. And then as it wanted a branch, it would pull one down and start nibbling on it. And one lady walked up and looked at the elephant that had this branch stuck between their trunk and their tusk and said, I wonder who stuck that, stuck that stick in the elephant's, in the elephant's trunk. I hope it's not hurt. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the fun uh, two-legged animals at the zoo, it was a good time. Hey, please make sure and follow me on Facebook, Brian Levine. Uh, follow the uh, Pipes Magazine radio show. Like it on Facebook. Leave any comments that you've got on the uh, Pipes Magazine radio show page at pipesmagazine.com. And uh, check out those auctions ending on Saturday and starting on Saturday. That's on the Pipe Studs eBay store, and that all goes to uh, helping kids like my daughter and uh, people like Jason's mom. So... We appreciate everything and uh, every little bit that you can do. I want to thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Steve Monjour for joining me. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Ew! Oh! Yuck! Bad monkey, stop that! Ew, that's not right! Are you done? Huh? Do you have an issue with me? Huh? Do you have an issue with me? Because if I if I have a problem with somebody, I don't pee on them, okay? Alright?